Welcome back or welcome to the Defining Endurance podcast. I am your host, Coach Andrew Simmons from Lifelong Endurance, and I am joined by my wonderful co-host today, Miss Lexi Miller. Lexi, how are you doing today? Doing well, Andrew. How's it going? I'm I'm doing good. I think uh, you know, I'm I'm sitting here looking out the window and uh the snow is is really falling on us. And uh we are recording this, you know, just just before the Thanksgiving time, but I I'm I'm still finding some optimism in this snow because uh, we're recording our 100th episode, which is pretty darn exciting. Yeah, it's super exciting. First of all, I say there's always optimism in snow. I'm a winter person, uh, but also, yeah, we've made it 100 episodes, almost two full years of doing this podcast every week. Yeah, every week is it's a long time to to do anything continuously and to do it even just one time a week. Um, you know, we've been really, really dedicated, uh, to putting out content and trying to, trying to create something that adds value, something that people are excited to, I guess, tune in for, uh, more than anything. And I think, you know, being as it is the winter months now for us. And I think we are kind of entering our winter months on the podcast. We're going to, we're going to go towards a little bit of an off season here for a little bit. Yeah, we've been working on getting together season two and making, you know, our next hundred episodes something a little bit more special. Uh, But to do that, we need to take some time and kind of let those like little mental muscles adapt and restructure just like we need in the actual off season. Yeah. And I, and I think the idea of us, uh, and, and to kind of, you know, not, not beat around the bush too hard here, we're going to move to a biweekly schedule. So every other week, two episodes a month instead of four and this kind of, uh, you know, change in periodization, if you will, you can see, we're going to play with all of the fun training words today, uh, is really so that we can have more time to create content and better, better episodes for you guys that have a little bit more to it. We believe that, um, you know, as we look at future guests and future episodes, uh, we're going to be able to create things like guides and, you know, just the content piece, uh, whether it's maybe a video to better explain a subject or a guide of about nutrition and hydration or whatever it might be. Um, you know, we need a little bit more time each week to do that. And so, that's how we're going to prepare uh, so that we can give you guys the best experience we can every single episode. Yeah, we're really excited for some of the things coming up in the new year. And that's the time we'll be taking off is through this holidays anyway. Um, you know, we we have our own families and lives and, and things that we want to dedicate our time to. And then we're going to come back and just have a lot more information for you guys starting in the new year. Yeah. And I think there would be no better topic, uh, considering what we've just talked about than to actually talk about where we're all headed. I know we've got, I think of CIM as kind of the last big marathon of the, of the season. And I think of Houston as the first kind of big race of the year. Um, and so with that, I think a lot of people, whether they race Chicago and I'm, I'm coming at this from the marathon perspective, cause that's where I've had my head recently. Um, a lot of people have come out of Chicago, come out of New York and they're like, okay, it's time to, time to dial things back a little bit. Um, so we're going to jump in and talk all about how to structure your off season, what actually defines an off season. Do you need to do it? All of the different things that come along with it. And I think the number one thing I will start off with just to say it is that you shouldn't feel guilty for taking an off season. And with that guilt, don't worry about 
your fitness and that fitness loss. Go back to an episode we did called, uh, I think it is the necessity of regression. Um, and it is a very important topic to understand that you are going to lose fitness and that's part of training is to purposefully lose some, you know, some training volume, some training intensity, uh, so that you can feel refreshed and actually go into your training block feeling good and ready. Any initial thoughts there, Lexi? Yeah. I mean, I think usually what comes up for athletes is not so much guilt, but they end the season with like a lot of stoke. Like, you know, we finish a great marathon build or ultra build and they have a great race. And then it's really hard to tone it down. Um, you know, you've put so much time into training and if that's all come to fruition and you've had an amazing race, it doesn't, you know, feel natural to just back off and like lose that fitness. So I think it, it can kind of come from both ends, both the, the feeling of guilt, feeling like you should be doing more, and then also the, you know, wanting to reach those goals. Yeah. I mean, it's been well documented that after a big race or a performance, whether it went the way you wanted to or not, there's a certain amount of emotion, right? This post-race depression, if you will, will that athletes absolutely feel it's a real thing, right? A, a goal achieved is no longer motivating. It's uh, it's a quote that I take from my wife quite a lot when talking with athletes, um, is that you had this thing that you were thinking about every single day. It's the thing that got you out of bed in the morning. It's a thing that drove you to get a little more uncomfortable as the days got darker and the temperatures got colder. And now it's gone. And you have to start thinking about what's motivating you, what's exciting next. And the fact that you're in this right now place of, I don't have anything, or that goal is really far away next spring, next summer, whatever it might be. Um, it can be hard to get excited about those things. And so you kind of have to say, what can I do right now to work on, to work on my fitness? Um, and, and I feel this, uh, in talking with an athlete yesterday that gave me a really good quote and a good reminder as we kick off into this off season, that there's a lot of opportunity in off season. Um, one of my collegiate athletes, uh, she said, she said to me, I'm not racing nationals. And I said, Oh, that's a, that's a bummer. She's, she's injured at the moment. And she said, but I was reminded by one of my teammates that as much as I wanted to race nationals and have it go and be this perfect thing, right? So sometimes we end our season on an imperfect note. Even if I did cross the line at nationals, it's not that movie star moment where I cross the finish line, my arms in the air, and all of a sudden I'm not injured anymore. That injury is absolutely still there. So if you're ending your season on an, a low note instead of a high note, and you're thinking, gosh, what do I, I, I just want to keep training. I want to get back to training and get back to where I was. This is the time to absolutely do that, but it's not a time to jump back into full force training. And we'll jump into that, but I wanted to kind of remind people that as we start to talk about the off season of things, this is your time to kind of have an assessment, take a look and understand what went really well last season right? Where, where am I weak? And then as you look at races, do you need a certain kind of fitness? Do you need specific fitness? Do you need to be able to go uphill really well? Do you need to be able to hold your pace really well? What are the important pieces of your fitness that you need to develop? Yeah. And I think that's, you know, we will definitely dive into that today. Talking about, you know, the, one, the mental and physical benefit of the off season, and then also how you can use it 
to feel productive towards your goals? Because I think that's always the struggle, right? Is like, you want to feel like you're at least moving forward, even if it's with a lower volume and lower intensity. Yeah. And that, that desire to feel like you're moving forward is, is what changes, right? The, it can feel like sometimes someone slammed down on the brakes and it's almost easier to kind of, you know, ease, ease back into it. And I think the most important thing for any athlete is that, you know, your off season doesn't have to look a whole lot different than your main season. Um, I think just intensity and volume can be less. You can still do two workouts a week. Just you don't have a need right now to do really hard workouts instead of doing an hour and a half total for your workout, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, and enjoy the extra time that you have for other passions and other things. Cause I think the most important part of an off season is the mental recharge that you get from, from taking time off and saying, Oh, I'm excited to get back into training now. Yeah. And I guess, Andrew, this is always something I enjoy when we discuss, um, because we can, we can differ in these ways just as any coach differs, but what does, uh, a quote unquote typical off season look like when you're building out a schedule? Yeah. You know, I, when I build out a schedule, you know, I, I start with, you know, what, where was that athlete at the, so I actually go back to where they started their last build when they came out of their last off season or whenever they started with me. And I say, okay, where were they? Let's say we're at 30 miles a week. Um, and they built up to a peak of 50, 55, say for a marathon. Um, I'm going to take them and we're going to go back to 35 miles a week, right? That little 10% bump is now something that has become our homeostasis has become, um, you know, at worst, you've regressed back to 35 miles a week, but reality is, is that 365 days later, you're still 10% plus ahead of where you were the year before. And so the way that I structure it is I kind of use those historical markers if I have them. Um, if I don't, if I don't know any of that information, um, or it's just kind of unclear from the athlete, the way that I would tend to structure things is... Um, I would go back and we would mostly just work on things that are enjoyable to do, whether that's, um, kind of structureless workouts where, um, and when I say structureless, I don't mean just go out and just run easy all the time. There's a, there's a time and a place for that. And the off season is a good one for that. Go out, have fun and explore. But I, the athlete that tends to come to me is someone that always needs a little bit of structure. Um, I can't just give them four to eight weeks of, Run, run how you feel, um, and go out and enjoy it. So I'm going to give athletes fart licks. We're going to do, you know, short tempos, um, just things to kind of generally keep fitness at a good baseline. So main sets of like maybe a, a 20 to 24 minute tempo, um, you know, maybe some intervals, but honestly, like there's no real reason, uh, for those, uh, until we start getting into the, the season. Um, and even if preseason, maybe we'll do some hill, some hill work, but it's not anaerobic. It's pretty aerobic. It's just to kind of maintain some general fitness. But honestly, this is the time I think that athletes need to integrate play, um, as their mode of, you know, aerobic fitness. If you're living in the Northern hemisphere and there's snow on the ground, like try Nordic skiing, try exploring on some snowshoes. I think this is a great time to go and get those zone one, zone two efforts in a pair of snowshoes for three or four hours and eat all the fun snacks and do all that stuff. That's, that's what I think the off season is for. 
Yeah, I think definitely leaning a little bit more into cross training, whatever that looks like for the person or helping them kind of find other ways to get some lower impact activity. So um, Nordic skiing, cycling, fat biking are all really good options. You know, I always encourage people to, you know, maybe try a Pilates class or a yoga class or just kind of find other ways to engage or go check out a run club, you know, figuring out how to make running more enjoyable again. I'm a little bit different where I tend to lean more into short, fast intervals in the off season. Um, So short hills that are just like 15 seconds at most to work on form. Um, And then same with short speed, going a little bit more into a little bit faster than 5k effort, but keeping them lower just to kind of um, mix up some variety in the body. And then, you know, again, working on the form, working on a faster turnover, um, which we incorporate with some strength training and mobility as well. And you tend to work, you know, if, if we had to put you in a box, you're working more with like mountain endurance athletes. Um, I don't want to call them adventure athletes, but you know, the reality is, is you've had athletes this year climb mountains, uh, not just like I did a 14 er like they've done some pretty, uh, you know, pretty epic mountain hikes. You've done some, uh, through hikers, um, where do you see the benefit for someone say that's doing mountaineering, uh, in that type of work? Well, and to be honest, probably the, the, most of the people I have who do mountaineering do not run at all. Um, so we might do some like hill repeats or some like bike repeats, but it's going to be just to kind of create more of a heart rate variance. Right. Um, I would say that my, my clientele is probably right now more 50, 50 marathon runners and then uh, ultra mountain folk. Um, and all of it is we want to be able to have a little bit more variation there. So you can run longer at a lower heart rate and then also get your heart rate up higher and have that ability. I think that's really huge, especially with people who are planning on going up at elevation. So people doing like 8,000 meter peaks, um, or big treks in Nepal or something like that. When you go up in elevation, your heart rate goes up no matter what, right? No matter how in shape Mm -hmm. you are. So being able to feel comfortable with a higher heart rate is important. Um, I also think that's important for the end of a marathon. Like no matter how fit you are, someone's going to have a little bit of um, decoupling at the end of, end of a big race. Um, And being able to sustain that is a good feeling. And that's where I feel like short intervals or fast intervals are important, but that's also why tempo is important. Yeah. And I think, especially when I think of ultra endurance athletes, my hundred mile people, 50 mile people, even, um, you spend the majority of your main season working on long. So how do we ever, how are we ever supposed to build that aerobic foundation? Um, and I think of, you know, the, the need for speed work again, this, this reminder that, um, you know, once you have had a break and your body feels good and restored, I think it makes an argument that for people that are going beyond the marathon, um, or even people that are, are, are slower marathoners, um, you know, it's, it's actually a really good time for you to work on, you know, increasing your cadence, um, working out at faster speeds. Um, because at the end of the day, what really defines your, your, your fitness and true capability as an athlete is, um, and in that, and that improvement, I think for a hundred miler, um, if I can take an athlete that has a, a base pace zone two heart rate, um, 
and they're a 930 average, if I can do some speed work and get their aerobic average from a 930 to an 830, that that is, I think, you know, almost exponential in terms of its impact on an athlete that's going over the marathon and the hundred mile. I mean, that's, that's, that's an hour plus, if not more, um, that you can take off of your race just by doing speed work inside your, your off season training. Um, and, and I think that's, that's the biggest place that ultra endurance athletes can make is doing that speed work before you enter the longest phases of your training and then doing some work that is of high intensity throughout their training. But the time is the off season, I think for those athletes. Yeah. Whenever I talk to people about periodization and kind of what their microcycles and microcycles and mesocycles might look like is like, like it gets more specific the closer to the race you get. Right. Um, so doing intervals is not very specific to ultra running or even, I mean, at least with a lot of the marathon runners I work with, it's not super specific. We're really more focused on endurance. Um, and so that's where I feel the off season is a fantastic time. Um, and then as we get closer, obviously there's going to be less because we need to focus on building the miles or getting more race specific pace in. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, there's that structure is, is necessary. We talked about having the workouts. We've talked about a little bit about strength training. I think it's the most important piece of an off season is that, um, I look at, and as an athlete is 12 weeks out, 16 weeks out, we can be doing some that first four weeks where it's heavier. But when we start to get to 12 weeks out, um, you know, we're doing a lot of maintenance focused strength. Um, you know, we're not really trying to increase the amount of weight we're lifting, but if we're talking about low rep, high weight off seasons, the time for low rep, high weight in terms of structuring your strength training. Oh, for sure. And even just to get back into the habit of strength training, I feel like, I don't know if this has been your experience with athletes. Um, but I know both people I've coached and myself, once you get into kind of like your peak week, it's really tough to like make time to be consistent with strength and mobility. Um, and so once you get through the race and you can kind of focus on like finding all those places where you got an imbalance or where things need to be worked on, um, it's, it's really great to get back into the habit so that you're less likely to fall off of it again once you get into your training cycle. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, I'll be curious to understand, you know, your, your experience with it. I know we work, we work pretty closely, you know, and have, have some similar views, but I, I think that I view strength training for an athlete as it's that it's, it's just as foundational as base, base work. Um, you know, especially if they're, if they're consistently seeing the same injury year after year. If I've got an athlete that's like, man, my hips always seem to slow me down at mile 20, or I get past mile 38 and a 50 and, you know, my hips really start to lock up or my calves start to lock up. It's like, well, that's, that's what needs to work. And so your strength training isn't about making you so much stronger as it is, is it helps you become more durable. And the only way that you build that durability is first laying down a foundation your off season, and then doing enough to maintain it. Now, as you mentioned, getting into those peak weeks and those taper phases, like 
you need to be strong enough that if you take two weeks or three weeks where you're not doing it as much or you're not doing it with as much weight, you can still see the benefits of those movements and those movement patterns. But that strength has now become, and, and I'll use this word a little bit later, is like it's it really has kind of become your homeo, your your base level of strength. Like that's just how strong you are now. And by running and changing how your your muscles are firing and your mechanics, um, you're able to kind of maintain the those patterns pretty well. You start to go much beyond that three week and you're not maintaining it anymore and some things are gonna fall off. Oh, for sure. And I think that it's so easy to get into a rut of not taking care of it um, when life gets busy and you're training. And so, yeah, it's like, okay, three weeks and it falls apart, but how quickly three weeks can become three months uh, to, to the average busy person. And that's where, you know, I think when you have a little bit more free time where you're not just training in your sport that you, you focus on those other important aspects is huge. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be that you cut down in your training time, but you just restructure it. Let's, let's get specific for the people. How many minutes, how many sets realistically of how many movements is needed? Like, are we talking that they need to carve out an hour and a half in the off season, two times a week? What do you, what do you think is, is the minimum? Cause I think people will go, I'm curious. I want to know, what do you feel like is the minimum and what do you feel like is the ideal? I mean, so this might be where we vary uh, because I am not as into strength training as you are. I think it's important, uh, but it's not my thing. Um, I usually encourage at a minimum athletes get 10 to 15 minutes in at least three times a week. Um, And then I usually also give them a longer set of something that's like yoga or Pilates or kind of more flowing movements. Uh, that's a little bit longer, you know, maybe going up to 30 minutes. I think in a perfect world, if you were able to get 30 to 45 minutes, three to four times a week during your off season, that would be pretty golden. How about you? What, what are you encouraging? You know, I don't think we're that far off in terms of total time ask. I'm going to ask athletes for two hours a week. Um, and where I want to remind people is like people hear yoga and they go, ugh, right. I, I can already hear some of my athletes that are going to listen to this, that are going to groan and be like, I don't want to do yoga. Ugh, it's not my thing. That's not how they operate. That's not their, their mental space or their mental state. But here's the reality is that yoga is no different than going and doing your prep set for a squat. Let's say you're going to do four sets. And the first one is, you know, 65 pounds and we're just going for depth. Um, and you're doing 10 reps of a pretty lightweight. Well, guess what you're doing? You're just emphasizing a specific movement pattern. You're actually, you know, making sure that you're going to full depth. That's mobility. You just have two 10 pound plates on the bar. I, it's not, it isn't really that different. Um, you know, that's, that's where I think people might get this twisted is like, you're going to say yoga and your word for it is, is yoga and mobility. Mine might be strength. But the reality is, is that for most of my athletes, there's going to be a prep set, which means it's, it's no different than your dynamic warm up, right? Um, it's about going through a, a full range of motion, uh, with the major joints, right? Whether that's shoulders and hips or, you know, knees and ankles, it's, it's making sure that, you know, we're, 
we're ready to then add a load. And so I think where you and I would differ is that I'm more than willing to give my athletes, uh, a, a heavy weight or a load, um, on that bar where for you, it's more about being mobile and not maybe cutting off themselves from a mechanic standpoint, um, and, and being able to, to stay supple if that's a, if that's a good word for it. But I don't think either is the right way. A hundred percent. I don't think either is the wrong way. A hundred percent. I see a lot of validity and even, you know, as I am personally experiencing, um, I need to take more time and work on my mobility. Uh, it's, it will limit your ability to do the things you want to do if you do not stay mobile. So whether that's underneath a bar or in front of the TV following a yoga flow, like they all, they all have a good valid reason in my book. So neither of us are wrong. The end. No, and I think so much is like, know what you will get done. And that's what I talk to athletes about is like, yes, 10 to 15 minutes may not be the ideal, but if it actually gets done, that's better than nothing. Um, and I think so often people might see like a long workout, especially when it's something that they don't want to do like strength or yoga or whatever. And they'll be like, well, I don't have time to do that full 30 minutes. So I'm just not going to do it. Um, I mean, it's, it's going to be best if you get something in, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I hundred percent agree. I think the most impactful workouts are the ones that get done. Um, I don't think that there's, you know, I don't think we've actually really talked through it, but there's no such thing as, you know, a, a perfect workout. There isn't one workout to rule them all, uh, nor is there one right way of, you know, strength training or mobilizing. But I, I think what's important is the, the quality of that session. And I, I think where, when we talk off season, it's way better to have a bunch of B workouts, you know, where they're, they're okay. You know, they're not the hour long main set, uh, that you may be doing during your peak training. Uh, it might be 30 minutes or 35 minutes and, um, it may not be the fastest that you've run, but a lot of B workouts is better than, you know, one A plus workout in the off season. And then like seven C workouts. And that rating system really for me is, is about like, you know, being able to assess what's realistic, knowing that your fitness is going to drop back a little bit. Um, and you know, you need to stop comparing to what you did. And it's like, where am I going? What do I need to be able to do right now? Looking forward at my next goal. Completely. And I think it's also, I mean, I think it's also just important to remind yourself that there's other important things in your life. Um, so yeah, sometimes it's like you have to adapt your workouts. You don't get that that a workout that you might get during your, your peak training, but you know, you get in something and then you can also go and like make good, healthy food for yourself or, you know, make sure that you're kind of care, like caring for yourself as well. Um, cause I think that also kind of slips by the wayside when we're, we're deep in our training. Yeah. You actually mentioned the, the one thing that I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm probably the least qualified person here to talk about it, but, um, you know, <laughs> the, the off season is always the time that we say, that's the time for you to change your body composition. That's the time for you that if you're like, man, I feel like I'm carrying 15, 20, 25, 30, 35 more pounds than I should be. 
um, you know, this is the time for you to, you know, realistically, you know, invest your time and your energy into your diet and creating good habits. Uh, it also just happens to be the time of year when most people develop the worst eating habits um, because it's the holidays, right? It's Thanksgiving. It's like pies everywhere. And then right around the corner, you know, is, you know, and especially with your off season, it's like, oh, well, you know, there's, there's all this fun wine and beer to drink and I'm around all my friends and they made all this food. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to, you know, talk about diet culture or anything like that. But the number one thing that I get from people when a client starts with me over the age of 30, 35 is, well, you know, I want to train for the Boston marathon or I want to train for this event and lose 15 pounds. And it's like, okay, well, if we're going to train really hard, being at a caloric deficit and trying to lose weight isn't, isn't going to work, right? Like they're, they're counterproductive to each other. Um, sure. You will lose some weight, increasing your basic day-to-day -day amount of exercise. If you've gone from zero exercise to now adding exercise, yes, you will, you're going to lose some weight and your body composition is going to change to meet those demands. But if you're trying to look at eating for performance and actually losing some weight to increase your performance, that's your off season. That's that your, how you eat, what you eat, you know, the habits that you create. Um, that's, that's all, all off season work in my opinion. I'd love to hear yours, Lexi. Yeah. So like one thing I like to work on the off season that I talk to athletes about is you know, coming up with like new go-to meals. I know like when I'm in training, it's just kind of like I cook the same thing for dinner over and over and over uh, because it's something I know and it, it gets a little bit old, right? So it's, you know, spending the time that I might've been working on training on like finding other meals that I can prep ahead of time that might, you know, the whole family will eat and also will like fuel me in the future. Um, you know, finding new like snacks to bake and freeze so that I have something for my long runs come the spring. I'm not having to figure out what I'm going to eat when I'm out for several hours. Um, and then also, yeah, maybe trying to adjust to some like healthier behaviors. Um, I, I'm definitely not one to ever encourage, um, any kind of like, you know, I don't know, like restriction. I'm not a fan. Um, I, I'm a big fan of intuitive eating and, and eating what makes you feel good and fuels you well. But I do get that sometimes people do, like, for whatever reason, do need to lose a little bit of weight. And the off-season is a good time to to work on that in a healthy way that's not going to burn you out. Um, because just as both of us have seen, when an athlete goes into a training cycle wanting to lose weight, they usually end up putting on a little bit more because their bodies, the bodies get a little bit panicked and, and start to hold on to every bit of fat to, to you know, keep them alive. Yeah, right? Like you actually end up people thinking, Oh, if I work out more and then I eat less, it's like, no, your, your body is actually really good at using those calories. And so when you're trying to work out really hard, like when you're not eating and trying to do the caloric deficit thing, right. Um, and trying to get your body to, right. You're trying to use the, the fat on board, right. And when your metabolism is actually in a really good place, it'll actually purposely lean you down saying, Hey, I'm in a, I'm in a healthy space. I don't need as much of this because I'm constantly getting what I need. If 
you shift that and you go to the mentality that a lot of people come to me, that 30 to 35 year old that says, I want to go to bought you know, get to Boston and lose 15 pounds. It's really counterproductive because they're increasing their training load while now, you know, decreasing, you know, how much their body is going to receive. Go back and listen to our episode with, um, uh, Yuri, uh, Carlson. And she talks all about this is like, I'm absolutely with you, Lexi. Like you have to eat intuitively. And that does mean that when you're going out for that long run, like absolutely eat the croissant or jelly roll or whatever, is in there, but also understand that there's a caloric value to that. If you're going to go out for an hour, don't eat three jelly rolls. Like that's not fueling your run, right? That's just an excuse to go out for an hour long run and eat three jelly rolls. It's, it has to support what you're doing out there. Um, and I'm, I'm not here to food shame, body shame or whatever, but what I am here to talk about is this, this misunderstanding that people have that, Underfueling your body is the way to get leaner, is the way to increase your performance. Um, you and I have both had athletes over the years that come and they're like, I just did 20 miles and I didn't eat a thing. And it's almost a celebration. And I'm like, oh my God, why? <laughs> why, why, why did, why, why, why didn't you eat or drink? Like, that's just, you're, you're delaying your recovery. You're slowing down your ability to perform. And that's not the point of the run. The point is not to see who can get through a 20 mile long run eating the least. It's about how can you complete that long run at the desired goal, pace, whatever it may be, be fueled so that you can recover and continue to perform the next day and the following day. Because really, I look at it as this, for any runner, if your long run is Saturday or Sunday, by Monday or Tuesday, you need to be ready and recovered to do a workout. So the reality is, is that when you're going out uh, for any length of time and not fueling beyond 45 minutes to an hour, you're delaying your recovery and you're setting yourself back. Hard stop. That's exactly how I feel about the food conversation when it comes to how do you feel for a long run and where does losing weight fit into the off season? This is your time because you're not going to be as affected by a caloric deficit because you're not trying to have these peak workouts where you're pushing yourself constantly. Where do you land with that, Lexi? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I think it's absolutely a time to work on it if that's something you need. But I think also understanding yeah. that you're probably not going to make huge gains in, you know, the three months at max that you have for your off season. So I think that's just mm -hmm. with anyone when they come to me with goals that maybe contradict each other, they want to be able to lift more, they want to run farther or faster, and they want to lose weight. It's kind of figuring out what's most important to you in this moment and defining those values. I think if you truly want to make a physical change in your body, it, it might be more of a year-long process to do it in a healthy, realistic way. And that might be a year you take from racing seriously. And that's okay. Um, well, you know, it's just having to define what your values are and realizing how for the average, you know, amateur runner, how much is dropping five pounds really going to change your time? Yeah. Right. For the amateur runner, like five pounds, probably not much, but I, I think 
I, I think a lot of a lot of it is a little bit aesthetic, right? Everybody wants to look good. Um, and I, I will also say this, if you are willing to invest your money in a coach, um, invest your money in a nutritionist as well. Um, you know, that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand about nutritional coaching as compared to say run coaching or strength coaching is a, a nutritionist is going to teach you how to eat. It's going to teach you better habits, it's going to teach you ideas of how to eat. And those are things that you can implement every single day. Whereas as a runner, your fitness is constantly changing. We're constantly moving through different training blocks. And so when you learn how to eat through those different training blocks, that becomes knowledge that you have forever, right? Knowledge is something that if practiced regularly, you don't lose. You learn how to eat in the off season as compared to peak training, as compared to maintenance building. Um, and that's, that's knowledge that you pay for and you don't need a nutritionist for six years, but if you're trying to get to Boston or beyond and yeah, a running coach for six years, they're going to move with you. They're going to change their training program and they're going to build along with you to get you to that goal. But learning how to eat, building those habits, that's a short term compared to a long term, in my opinion. And I would say that spending money on a nutritionist, um, even if it is a couple hundred dollars a month, long term, it's worth it because now you have knowledge of how to tackle everything that's going to be coming in front of you as you go towards that big hairy goal. Definitely. And I think also, you know, if that's not in your budget, there are lots of resources where you can learn, you know, how to cook for yourself a little bit better, how to fuel for yourself a little bit better and make those, you know, I always work with athletes in the off season of like, especially ultra runners, um, you know, figuring out what foods, go well with their training. So, you know, especially mm -hmm. if they've had issues, you know, um, with early morning starts or fueling during a run is kind of dialing that in. So I think there's definitely several ways to go about it, but yeah, if a nutritionist is in your, or a dietitian is in your budget, then absolutely. I think the last thing is I'll, uh, do a shameless plug for our cookbook, uh, that we still have out there. If you go, go poke around in our store a little bit, you go find our, our, our cookbook is out there. Um, and, uh, encourage you guys to go check that out. I will also say, um, you know, that as far as, um, habits go, I would love to hear from you, Lexi, your favorite time-saving habit. Um, one that Katie and I have tried to implement. Uh, and when we do it, life is easy. When we don't, life is hard is meal prep. If we can take two hours on a Sunday to even just, you know, prep some sweet potatoes and some rice and, you know, a few other basics for protein, um, and kind of plan out our week for meals, we eat better, we feel better. Uh, we are less stressed. We are less likely to, uh, you know, blame the other person for, uh, a, a lack of food in the house. Uh, we do better at shopping all things there. What is, what is your hack? If you have one for, um, uh, building a, a good habit to build maybe, uh, for the off season. Yeah. I mean, I think meal prep is obviously, I mean, it's huge. Um, I know just for me, like, even if I just have my meals planned out and written out, um, and keep a list of like, I have a whiteboard. So I write down what we're going to have for dinners that week, what we're going to have for breakfast. And then, you know, what is available as leftovers for lunch. 
it's extremely helpful and it also keeps our fridge from, you know, everything expiring in it. Um, <laughs> so I mean, meal planning has been big for us. And then also one of the things, I mean, it's one of the things I do early in the off season is I just do a deep clean of the house. Um, so then we can kind of just yeah. eat by a little bit more and have like everything put away. And it's just, it feels better because things can just get overwhelming. Um, so I'd say like, the post post race deep clean is is one that has worked well for me. I would also say, you know, um, I do want one more recommendation for people. But one thing that I've I've gotten in the habit of doing is not being the person in the holidays to take the leftovers. I'm like I Irish goodbye those leftovers. Like, uh, oops, I left them there. Like, I I really like I'm being a vegetarian, it's not very hard for me to not walk away from, uh, a, a big meal with, with people. Um, but I'm, you know, I grew up in a Midwest family. Like all we ever did was give away the food, um, that we had that we, you know, we always cooked for like, I don't know, a small army, like 50 people when like 10 people were coming over. Um, and so the, the whole goal was to give right food away. And that's one of my big holiday hacks is like, if I am trying to stick to a diet and a program, uh, not having those other options, right. That makes it super easy. Um, like you said, that deep clean is super important. I feel bad for all of the kale over the years that I've killed that has sat in the back of a fridge and like, I'm going to eat that. It's never gotten eaten. I've just stopped buying kale at this point. Uh, <laughs> um, but I would say that one of the resources that we use quite a bit, um, and Katie cooks out of it a lot is, um, and again, we're mostly plant-based in this house. Uh, Katie does, you know, still eat meat, fish, all of those things. It's a, it's a cookbook called engine two, kind of like you would think fire engine engine two. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a great cookbook because it's uh, pretty low oil. Some of the recipes I absolutely add oil to that say don't oil. Cause otherwise it's like, there's zero flavor in this. Um, but it's, a uh, it's, it's a uh, plant strong. So you can go to, um, the engine it's an, it's called the engine two diet. I don't, it's not the diet I follow. It's just one that we eat a lot of the recipes out of because they're good and they're tasty and they're really like super healthy, super clean. Um, and these are things that we eat a lot. Do you have a favorite cookbook, uh, besides run fast, eat strong, which is an, probably the second most leveraged book in our house? Yeah. I mean, no, that's definitely my go-to. Uh, you run fast, eat slow is definitely, uh, one I like a lot though. Some of the, you know, sometimes it's just like, I'm not going to, one, I don't eat meat. And then two, I'm not going to buy Buffalo burger because it's expensive. Um, I mean, honestly, I use a lot from, um, online love lemons or cookie and Kate. Um, I think that those are usually like pretty, a little bit lighter, um, I mean, I'm also mm -hmm. cooking for a toddler and, and a 43 year old man. So like, I, I kind of have to adjust like what I want to eat, which would be like quinoa and spinach. And right now just like sweet potatoes and different kinds of squash to like mm -hmm. everyone else's tastes. So, you know, as much as I would love to like be a little bit lighter in what we eat. Uh, not everyone in the house agrees with it. Yeah. You mentioned one that Katie loves, which is cookie and Kate. Um, it's cookie C O O K I E and Kate.com. Uh, again, mostly, uh, vegetarian recipes. Um, and I, 
I mean, you can always add a protein on the side. Um, you know, I can remember before I went plant-based, uh, my meal planning was always to go buy a bunch of chicken breasts and cook them in the oven. And there was, there was my protein and, you know, even packaging your meals, like pre prepping those and just saying, I'm going to grab a, this, a, this, and a, this, and that's what you have to eat that day. Um, when you go to work or wherever you are, and if you can be, have the, the, you know, I guess, um, self-discipline to just eat those things, you're going to stay on your diet. If you allow yourself a thing over here, a thing over there, it's going to fall apart pretty quickly. Um, but I will digress. I, I love to, I love to talk about food. It's probably because I didn't eat lunch before this, that all I want to do is talk about food. No, totally. And it is, I mean, I think it is huge this time of year and that's where more, I just like, yeah, we're, if you're sticking to a diet, it's probably going to fall a little bit by the wayside during the holidays. And I, I mean, I'm of the assumption or the belief that that's fine. Like, you know, it's, it's one time a year where you're spending time with family and enjoying food and enjoying what other people cook. Like if you have a good beer and a decadent dessert, it's, it's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. A hundred percent, Lexi. You don't um, need to run it off. You don't need to worry. No, it's not a, you know, it's not an inputs output system. You're not a machine. Um, you know, I, I think, I think it is hard, right? In, even in that episode uh, that we talked about, the you know necessity for regression episode, like part of that is body composition is going to change when you're in the off season. Yeah, you're probably going to gain a little bit of weight, as does everybody in their off season. And then you change your eating habits, you change what you're eating, how you're eating, and also your output. If you are working out harder, yes, you need to fuel for that, right? Like it, it's one of those things. Like right now as most people enter the winter months, we go to, you know, kind of being, uh, more like a Toyota Prius and we're sipping on fuel and we're not trying to do as much. We don't really need to zip around super fast or haul a bunch of wood uphill or something like that. If we're going to use a car analogy, but come spring, like we're going to want to start working towards, you know, we're going to be a marathon 5k, 10k. We got to start, you know, building that Ferrari. Okay. But if you're going to go uphill, you've got to be able to be that diesel truck that's strong and capable and can go for a really long time and fuel accordingly. Right. And so in my mind, right now is the time to enjoy some more food, enjoy that extra beer, enjoy that extra time, because there is a necessity, I think, um, to just having some contrast. If you're always super strict, always all the time. I, I, I will give all of you this, this great quote uh, that stuck with me for a really long time is that everything in moderation, including moderation, because life, life is just way too short to not eat, eat that jelly roll and go out for that hour long run. You just don't need to eat three of them. <laughs> right. And it's, yeah, being sure to take care of yourself. And that's kind of back to like the general off season is, you know, you're toning down your, your training, but then also not completely falling off the wagon and keeping a little bit of structure is, is pretty healthy. Um, you know, maybe adjusting your diet a little bit, but not getting too strict with it. It's exactly, it's all moderation. And I think the off season is a good mm. time to practice that. So Lexi, I think we've, we've hit that point in the episode where we could take almost any direction at this point. I think we've done a really good job of kind of giving people insights about kind of how to structure that season. Um, you know, what are some things that we can do 
right? Going through a personal assessment and actually looking at your training and saying, what do I need? Where did I do well last year? Where did I do well? Uh, what do I want to do well in, in this, this coming year? Um, as we look at the podcast, you know, I wanted to just say that, um, for us, you know, we, we're kind of closing this, this one out. This is our hundredth episode, two years of really hard work. Do you have a moment for you in the podcast that stands out? Favorite episode? Oh goodness. Uh, Hmm. Or even a favorite guest that you had on. It doesn't have to be a favorite episode that either of us did. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I think there's just been a lot that I have enjoyed. And I think, um, as we've mentioned before, I kind of have the opportunity to hear the podcast several times. Um, <laughs> ideally, I should hear it several times. Sometimes I don't. And, and then I get a nice email from someone being like, uh, Lexi, what happened here? Um, but where I, because I edit it, I usually have to listen to it twice once to get the general picture and then once to kind of go through and make it sound better. Um, and so I think, you know, I really enjoyed your conversation with Yuri Carlson. I think that was a really helpful episode for for a lot of people um because i think nutrition is huge and then especially her take on fueling with real foods is something that mm. you know we don't always think of um especially people who run the shorter distances of marathon and under we tend to get into kind of that gel world and i think that was a really helpful one um i really enjoyed talking uh with uh kirk app who uh had was getting ready for his 27th hard rock. Um, that was an enjoyable one for me because I just love to hear. I mean, I, I love the emotional side of running and that's one of the reasons I like this podcast is that I kind of wanted to like hear more stories. Um, how about you? Hmm. Man, I, there was a lot that was really fun. I enjoyed talking with John Lovett. Uh, he's a friend of mine, uh, that I got to spend some time, not only, you know, with some miles, uh, but also our entire Leadville experience was super fun. Um, you know, another guest that we've had on here, um, we actually hiked to the top of Hope Pass with John Lovett and then my friend Kevin Goldberg, the three of us. And that ended up being and providing like three episodes worth of content from like one outing that was like three hours, um, you know, that led us to an amazing sponsorship with uh, Inside Tracker um, and having Kevin back on to talk all about the coaching side with the work that he does at training peaks, but it's also where I met Chris Harrington. If you guys haven't jumped into that episode, like we talk a lot about not only the local running scene here and some fun places to run if you're ever out in golden, um, but also just how he balances the day-to-day -day life. Like I could go through every single one of our episodes of the last year, probably the last 40, 50 episodes and say, I liked this about this episode. Like I can think about, you know, Priscilla Tallman, like, Go dig into that episode. She has some great insights about how to structure your mental space, right? And actually tapping into that dark place, that place that actually probably has a lot of fuel if you allow yourself to go there. Um, I love your episode with Girls in the Run because I love working with kids. And I think that's that's the future of our sport. And it makes me excited. It makes me happy to see what's out there. But I also love talking with Ben. 
right? Ben's been on the episode or on the podcast for the second time to talk about even the highest level, uh, his new book, all of those things. So from my standpoint, like I, I enjoy this. A part of me is a little sad to not have an episode come out every single week because, well, I like instant gratification as does most of the generation these days. But I'm also excited to step back, take a little break, get refreshed just as we do in any off season and come back and say, how do we do this better? And that's what I'm most excited about. Yeah, I think, and I think that's again, where we will ask our listeners to just please give us some feedback. Um, We really appreciate when we have been encouraged to talk about something in particular or interview a particular person, or if I messed up a recording and you let me know, I so appreciate that. Uh, So please, please (laughs) always feel like you can reach out to us. Absolutely. The more you guys reach out, the more you guys give us ratings, the more you guys review our podcast on Apple, Google, wherever you are listening to us from, it helps. Uh, I know you probably hear that from every podcast that you listen to, uh, but we're always going to be fighting an algorithm and trying to uh, cycle up to the top of these things so we get more ears. If you find this helpful, you love in a particular episode, please send that out to other people. I don't beg too much. Uh, it's not really in me to do that, but uh, I'm going to ask you guys, if you love something, share it um, just like you would for a really good recipe. Uh, and I'm not going to share with you guys my pumpkin pie recipe because it's my favorite and you guys will have to earn it. Actually, you know what? Anybody that sends me an email, I'll send you my pumpkin pie recipe. How about that? Perfect. <laughs> if they make it this far, then they really yeah. want my pumpkin pie <laughs> recipe. <laughs> Uh, Lexi, I appreciate it. I think we can take the gloves off for a second here. Um, and I think to say producing a podcast every week is hard. You have done an amazing job of putting this out there. And I want the people, uh, that are listening to hear the hard work that you put in. So if you go back and listen to our first episode, which I do not recommend. Oh God, don't, don't do that. Don't. I, even people ask about our podcast, I say, don't listen to the first five. I was learning a lot. It's rough. It's so rough. But you've, you just as any athlete have become more confident and capable in what you do. So, uh, you know, this is my, you know, personal out loud kudos to, uh, everybody listening, uh, for the hard work that you've done over the last two years to make this podcast a reality. Um, now we get to, uh, you know, depending on how you look at it, we either cut your job in half by going every other week or, uh, double it by adding content and making it harder. So, uh, it will remain to be seen, but I think there's no better way to say it. Um, Great job. Good work. Uh, and also to well, all those people that are still listening, go ahead, Lexi, please. I was going to say, well, and same to you. I mean, this this was your brainchild. Um, I mean, I think you started putting it together probably six months before our first episode um, with getting guests. And, you know, I mean, I I co-host, but I the people, the people listen for Andrew. Um, I think like you truly have like that presence for a podcast. Um, whereas I have more of the grading, uh, voice. Um, so, I mean, I think like you, you have remained the consistent and the, you know, the originator for, for this little passion pet project that, that we started. I mean, we started it over two years ago, but we've been doing episodes for nearly two years now. 
Yeah, no doubt. I think my number one goal for next year, because I know she's probably in the kitchen, just, just, just listening through the door. I'm going to get Katie back on the podcast. Nice. Yeah. She, more people need more Katie. People need more Katie. Absolutely. Uh, well, I think we can say we will catch you guys absolutely in the new year. Um, cause you guys won't, uh, after this episode, there won't be any until January. So, uh, all of you enjoy your December, enjoy your holiday. Uh, I will wish you all of the Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, everything, uh, holidays. <laughs> uh, and we will see you guys in the fresh brand new year. Lexi, thank you. Thanks, Andrew.